Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. of sonic snapshots is by way of introduction for this episode's guest and the well listened amongst you might have recognised Portico, Fever 8, Mount Kimby, Aphex Twin, Glass Animals, Bjork, Jamie XX, Penguin Cafe, Melt Yourself Down, Max Richter, Jungle, Leanne Lahabas, John C and Alex and Kelly Lee Owens. What do they all have in common? They've all passed through the sonic gateway that is Black Saloon Studios run by one Mandy Parnell. She's easily one of the most respected and in-demand mastering engineers in the world. That list of artists that I just reeled off barely even scratches the surface of who she's worked with, and not to mention all the awards that she's won, like Grammys and Mastering Engineer of the Year at the MPG Awards. When she's not winning awards or mastering great music, she'll be travelling the world, giving lectures and sharing her knowledge to aspiring musicians, mixers, producers, and trying to influence the music industry in a positive way. So yeah... Mandy Parnell is quite a big deal and I was very excited that she said yes to being part of this podcast. I suspect that a few of you might be new to this podcast because of Mandy's name bringing you here. So first of all, a warm welcome to you. I should explain what would normally happen on an Excuse the Mess episode. The usual guest is a composer. I am also a composer and I'll talk to them about what it is they do and their creative practice. And then after we've done a bit of chat, we'll start work on co-writing a new piece of music together using only one instrument that they've brought along with them. I do a lot of electronic music, so there's lots of electronic manipulation of that original sound source. And you as a listener get to follow the whole journey of the piece and you hear the finished thing at the end of the episode. So I'm sitting on nine pieces, all from series one, each a co-write with a different composer. So I asked Mandy if she would be up for mastering the album and also doing a podcast episode, which is what awaits in but a moment's time. You're going to hear many wisdoms from the wonderful Mandy, including uh, approaches to mixing and good mixing practice, things that people should keep an eye on and maybe even stop doing. The whole episode is peppered with lessons like these throughout. 
and I asked Mandy to use the music from the Excuse the Mess album as sort of a, a reference point for mistakes that maybe I've made and others might also be making. She also advises on how to be prepared for a mastering session and what the average mastering session looks like for her at her world-famous Black Saloon Studios. Mandy is really a larger-than-life character and she's a brilliant storyteller and she shares with us various anecdotes and events that have shaped her approach to music throughout her life. So you've got all of that to come. There'll also be music from a variety of the artists that she's worked with. And a guest from the first series of the podcast, Emily Lebanese farouche drops in. Oh, I can't believe I'm here. She's a big fan of Mandy's. Finally, before we get going, I need to say thank you to Noted Fellowship for funding this episode and also funding the cost of mastering at Black Saloon. What can I say? I'm very grateful for their really generous support over the last year or so. And one final thank you, maybe two, one for you. Thank you for downloading this podcast. And also uh, thank you to Isotope Audio, who also support this podcast. That is a much longer intro than I'd intended. So enough waffle mess and on we go with the podcast. I really hope that you get a lot out of it. I find what's happening more and more is, you know, people want to remix all the time after they hear the mastering back. Mm which, yeah, is fine, but it can make the process quite hard as well. I think it's like people are too easy to sort of pull stuff into the sort of logic and pro tools and be able to tweak it themselves on top of the mastering. Really? And then come back with really specific uh, sort of, you know, oh, can you duck like, you know, half a dB at, you know, 100 hertz or something, you know, really sort of specific things that don't really necessarily work yeah. when you put it back into our Your, systems because yeah. the systems are different and the EQ plugins mm. are different and blah 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 but yeah I find a lot of people sort of tweak but I, I like it to be open like that I do say to them we'll do a set of revisions either way mm. I'll revise the mastering or you can revise the mix what you know to keep yeah. it open because things do come up that they might not have intended mm. you know, years ago when I started it was done it was on tape. It was done. It was a big deal to remix. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, oh, I can just remix it. It was like a major thing. They made their choices. They committed mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. And that was that. It's more of a psychological thing sometimes, isn't it? Committing to... Well, people don't yeah. want to commit. I get so yeah. many people that want to send stems. Yeah. And I really try and get them to commit. Stems is okay, but, you know, it's never going to be a mix. Mm. And it works with some genres of music, I feel, but not all genres. Yeah. You, know? you you need the glue of the mix. You need that sort of bounce, if you like, to, you know, glue. But, yeah, people just don't want to commit. It moves things along quicker, mm. committing to things. And it stops you getting... Held up. up by it's making. interesting, yeah. When you talk to you know mix engineers and they say they get sent through all this stuff and you know they just get rid of so much of yeah. it, but yeah. people aren't even aware, yes, that's that it. they've got yeah. rid of it. You know, it's just like mm. okay, we don't need that, get rid of it. And that's part of why they say to you know we don't want people to come down because they don't want them to see <laughs> what they're up to, but yeah, we clutter things up so much, mm. um, there's no space. And it's, it's not easy, is it, to, to mix? And the more you have in there, the harder it is. Definitely. Just thinking about something I'm sort of putting off at the moment. And I must have like 12 drum mics and various things going through different sort of effects. And it's like, well, if you give me four, I'll probably mix it better. But then you're stuck with all these different options. And you're like, well, I don't know which ones to get rid of right now. And you just end up 
with all of them. Leaving them all in a bit. Yeah. And a mush. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting if you look at some of the techniques, even, you know, like one microphone on a drum kit and how fucking incredible it can sound. It's more about the space you're avoiding yeah. than, you know, actually loads of microphones. But then then you'll go to the other extreme and you'll look at some of them metal bands where they do have loads of microphones and triggers and stuff and the mixes sound fucking incredible. Yeah. But then the engineers work, you know, I think for me that style of music is some of the most challenging to work on, mm-hmm. you know, to get it to sound right and good and mm. big and how it should be. But you'll listen to some of them drum mixes and they're incredible, even though they've got probably a hundred microphones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> microphone everywhere. Drum kit the size but of But they're brutal. When, when you sit with them, it's like, you know, with my partner Martin, you know, when he's mixing that stuff, I mean, yeah, he's very bold with you know, how he EQ stuff and what he works on stuff. And I'll find it quite shocking. I'll be like, oh, yeah. my God, that's a lot. Yeah. And he'll be, yeah, but we need to do that. And then when I hear the end result, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, now I yeah. understand. Uh-huh. But I think people just put everything in there but don't really sculpt the sound well enough. Mm. You know, they're too scared. Yeah, it's, it is a tricky thing to do because if you've got all these different pieces that could then change shape and fit together in a different way, it's hard to know, you know, what shape each individual piece should be turned into or this kind of thing. I think, yeah, it's probably having a clearer picture before you start, but it's mm-hmm. hard if you're yeah. being sent mixed. So then you're having to have a clear picture of where you want to go. I, I've watched plenty of interviews with you and you've got, like, so many amazing tips for mixers things to avoid, things to do before coming to see someone like yourself with their music, with their with their finished mix. So, you know, when I say do use these things as points of reference today mm. so that others can maybe learn from some of the common mistakes I'll be making. Mm. And I think I will be in that realm of do you? I make common oh, mistakes. No. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I'm oh, praying. No. I'm like, praying. In, in my head, I was coming along today, to like, I really hope Mandy Parnell likes my mixes. Like, It's scary, we'll isn't it? I mean, you know, coming into mastering is such a daunting thing. Yeah. This system is gonna expose if there is. Well, yeah, and you're yeah. just—it's scary, isn't it? Because you're you're bringing your stuff to to somebody that's deemed, you know, um, an expert. And yeah, mm. we have a lot of experience that we bring to the table. But it shouldn't be scary. There's always been a lot of fear around it, and that's something that I've tried with my clients to disperse. It's mm-hmm. like, don't be scared. We're in yeah. a team together to get the best results. It's. Yeah. You know, we, we need to be able to talk and collaborate. And when fear comes into the room, you know, I'd, I'd notice it really sort of through the years of my career. People wouldn't be honest because they had fear. So I'd ask questions and they'd say the opposite. Yeah. So I had to learn a lot about body language mm. to actually be able to understand, all right, you know, they're really not comfortable. They're telling me that, but their body's telling me something different. And to actually analyse that side of it to be able to sort of question and find other ways around getting yeah. the answers that I wanted but yeah it shouldn't be scary yeah. and yeah I suppose for some people say it's so scary for them to to come here because I've worked on so many albums that they love and you know artists that they look up to and then what I'll discuss at that point is how you know I've got people that I've really looked up to through my career and I had to keep reminding myself we all bleed red mm. There shouldn't be any fear around meeting any of these people or working with these people. It should just be a humbling experience. 
Mm. And then it brings it back to how, you know, like you said at the beginning, you know, about you know, you're not a big team, you're just you. It shouldn't matter who you are. It's mm. about the art. And approaching the art should be the same no matter what team. Just because, you know, I might work with, you know, a very famous artist that has a, a big team of people around them. You know, and okay, the process might take longer because of the big team of people. Mm. You know, around and so many people involved, you know, so it might go on, you know, three or four times longer than, say, a project with you because you're making all the decision. Um, the approach shouldn't be any different because art's art. Just because they're more established in the realm of, you know, art out there doesn't mean it should be approached any different. It's, it's the same. And I think that's where some people, especially, you know, early on in their career, get lost. And I remember when I worked at the exchange and, you know, I never knew, I still don't know, you know, who people are, how famous people are. And, um, you know, the guys were like, oh, you know, he's a really important producer, da, da, da. I'd have somebody coming in and they'd instill fear in me rather than letting me just be and go through it. And I realised that I had a lot of um, anxiety, you know, because they build this sort of, you know, mm-hmm. they're really important. Yeah. And it's like, well, why are they more important than this person? Uh-huh. They're not. So it's something that I try and, you know, get get people to understand is, you know, when I'm sort of teaching, it's more about great art. We're here to facilitate art. And I'm lucky that I work on incredible art. And there's not many projects in my whole career that I can honestly go, I think that's a pile of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's not many, to be honest with you. If we look at everything I've worked on. I was um, looking through credits of yours. And similarly to when I find like a label that I really like, I like to go between the different artists and like, oh, I love this. And it's something about the taste making gone on there. And same with, you know, all these projects that you've worked on. You can just listen to any of them and know that it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. So you're. (laughs) That's about the art. The art's good. You know, I've been very blessed. And I've had different points where I'm like, okay, I might as well quit now. I've done that. <laughs> then something else happens to remind me I can't. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I think I had it again last year, sort of working with David Gilmore. You know, it's a, a team, a production team I've wanted to work with my whole career. Yeah. And for me to you know, score that, because I had to try out for it, was, yeah, a very big deal for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very big deal. And very humbling. But then, you know, afterwards I'm a bit like, okay, well now what? (laughs) Yeah. But that's why it's hard. That's why I try and say all, you know, it's just art. We're facilitating great art. Don't put these, in a sense, idols there. You know, we shouldn't do that. But we do do that because what brought us into music in the first place was because we listened to all these stuff and these Mm -hmm. people became our heroes when we were young. So it's really hard to get rid of that, you know. But that's something to think about. This is the instantly recognisable Bjork track called Lion Song from Vulnicura. Mandy's working relationship with Bjork started in 2011 on Biophilia and she still works with her very closely today. Maybe he will come out of this 
Um, yeah, I took my limiter off and then on a couple of them I did, yes, and I thought you might ask that. This is prime opportunity for you to give a life lesson. Okay, so you've mixed it. <laughs> did you mix it with the on limiter on? Uh, no. You didn't? You no. put the, the limiter on after you finished yeah. mixing? Yeah, in most cases I would have mixed it and then seen that I want to just catch a few peaks at the end. Well, that's good because you're very unusual to most of the world because most of them are mixing to a limiter, which is head on earth, because they take yeah. it off and then the mix falls apart. Okay, yeah, yeah. The thing is, by bringing it down, is one, you're changing the way your dynamics respond. So unless you bring it down with your engineering in, your mixes on, which is quite hard to do, mm. you know, you can change, you know, there'll be a phase shift. Look, we can hear a difference with a level difference of 0.1. We can hear that. And it will change the phase relation between things. So all of a sudden the snare might, you know, perceive to come forward to the vocal, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So by you bringing it down, it's different to how you've mixed it. So if it's not your artistic intention, yeah. it could cause us problems. Okay, yeah. In the sense that you might get it back and go, oh, that just feels a bit yeah. weird. Probably why you pulled it down with looking, just looking at it. So, yeah. you know, I've got all the tracks up there. I can see mm -hmm. them in my timeline. Episode seven, I can see that you brought it down because it was really loud. Yeah. Your mix was really loud. Well, I'd rather hear the loud one as well and make the decision of do I want you to bring it down or should I bring it down? For instance, if you're mixing for a band, you know, or, and a record company, you send off the limited version for them to hear. It's like the listening copy. Well, I want to hear what everyone's heard, the loud version. So I had a okay. situation where I did this very big uh, project with an artist, and he just sent the mixes through. I mastered it. It was a jazz record, beautiful, you know, beautiful mixes, and sent it off to a team, big team. The next day, the mix engineer comes back and says, well, I think it sounds beautiful, but it's a lot quieter than my listening copies. Mm. And I went, but why didn't you send me the listening copies? And he said, well, look, let's just leave it and see what happens. And luckily, the artist loved it, and it wasn't sure. about loudness. Sure. But often, the loudness thing had come into it. So if I haven't heard... Them, and Often what mix engineers are doing when it comes to them listening copies is stuff that I wouldn't do, mm -hmm. or yeah. not very many master. I haven't met a master engineer that would do them, actually, because I do ask them about their settings when it comes to limiters. But they'll do things like 6 dB limiting. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. Maximum 2 dB mm. on one limiter. 2 dB maximum. Maximum. That's like, really, that's hard limiting. Mm. Often, you know, it's... 0 0.7, 1 dB, 1 1.3. It's I go above 1.3, you know, it's like for very particular artistic reason. Again, what happens when these limiters get taken off, the, the whole dynamics change of the mix. So I want to hear that. I want to understand what they've heard dynamically, you know, what the mix actually is dynamically. You know, and the same thing happens with level. Exactly the same thing. 
happens with level and you know you've probably experienced it where you've turned something down you've turned your mix output down all of a sudden things even if you turn your monitor controller up you know the mix will push back mm-hmm. yeah could uh, become narrower the whole space of the mix can really change well I'll show you that on point one of a dB let alone 1 dB 3 dB 6 dB so there's a lot of stuff out there where people say, oh, yeah, to bring it to mastering, you know, I want this much headroom. Speak to your mastering engineers. Mm. Some mastering engineers will go, that's what I want. You know, we're all going to have our particular uh, theory based on it. I want to hear everything. I want to hear, you know, everything, if that makes sense. I want to hear the listening copy. I want to hear the, you know, if you've turned it down, I want to hear the original. I had a, um, a producer come in. It was a really big lesson for him, you know. And I didn't know because why would I question, you know? Yeah, it's quite a few years ago. And, you know, I asked this album and I was really struggling with it. And I could see in his body language he wasn't comfortable. But kept questioning, didn't really get to the bottom of it. And then we got to the end of the album and he said to me, have you got any tips for me going forward with my mixes? And I said, well, yeah, I think you should use more of the dynamic range. Your mixes are quite quiet. You've got all this headroom here, you know. It'd be good to... And he just said, but I turned it down to bring it to mastery. Yeah. And I said to him, well, I want to hear the ones before he turned it down. He had his laptop, he bounced them. We pulled them up. I remastered the whole album. Did you? Straight after yeah. finishing mastering. You know, we're going back a few years. <laughs> I was younger then, but yeah. Straight away, you know, yeah. remastered mm. the album. So yeah, it's it's just something to think about, you know. It's like give give us all the options. Yeah. We've not been on the journey with you from start to finish. So we've not been in the studio and seen what you've done and why you've made them choices. So it's like give us the options, you know. But it's just like having awareness of making sure that you've got your mixes switched on and making sure that the mix doesn't fall apart. And often what people do is... They turn it down by numbers, not by ears. You know, years ago, you had your board, you just got your fader, you pulled it down till it felt right. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? So we're not in that mentality anymore. Yeah. We, we we sort of use our eyes a lot more and our logic rather than our ears. So it's remembering when you're doing that process to, to use your ears to bring them down. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because everyone looks at a screen almost like your first sense is what you're seeing yeah. rather than what you're hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I need to bring it down. It's clipping by sort of 3 dB, 5 dB. I'll just bring it down 5 dB. Oh, there you go. Sorting. And they forget to listen. And, you know, they might not listen until they get the mastering back. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know, and they blame it on the mastering. Uh, But actually, when you start delving, and like I said, I've had it with teams, you start delving, then actually it's not the mastering that's the problem. It's what's been delivered as the mix. But we get blamed. This is a Mount Kimby track called Marilyn, featuring Mika Levy. Huge fan of this track.
Next on our agenda for the day was starting the mastering process. So Mandy walks us through some of the usual steps that happen on any given mastering session. And just so you know, the music in the background is all Excuse the Mess music from series one. Alright, so what this is my process mm-hmm. is I generally just play the album. Sometimes I'll jump through the tracks, you know, but often I'll play it in the running order, preferably. Um, and just play it not with my engineering ears. Okay. But just you know, have it in the space. It's uh, for me, it's a great process with you know artists and producers because they get to hear it uh, in the space. Some of them might stop me and say, "Can we just sort of jump through them and get going?" Because they don't want to hear it all again. But, you know, it really depends on the session. But it's just a way of me engaging with it without being focused. Yeah. Like how we listen to music. Yeah. Um, Is that an easy switch to turn off and become a kind of a, a listener, an active listener without Yeah, no, it, took, it took me, you know, a little while. It took me a while to analyse that early on. I, I'd started becoming, what made me realise was, um, remember what concert I went to a concert at the Royal Festival Hall and got very angry at the sound okay and I realized that I'd become too clinical about sound and I wasn't enjoying music anymore and often when you speak to to young engineers you know or engineers that have gone through their career that quite a lot of them go through this where you get too you know absorbed by the technical stuff and forget about um, the art side of it so, yeah, that's when I went off and I moved to New Orleans. And living there taught me about yeah, emotion and music, really, because I'd hear these incredible musicians pouring their heart out on the worst sounding systems. Yeah. But it didn't matter. Yeah. So then that made me start analysing music that I was listening to and mixing and realising that, you know, yeah, we can hear some really great mixes out there, and there are some that are incredible, but there's nothing that's perfect out there. And then we'll hear some really sort of mixes that are terrible, but emotionally, you know, they just really move us. So it was realising that there was no perfect, and that I didn't need to, you know, be so analytical, and the poor guy at the Royal Festival Hall that I had a go at, if, you know... <laughs> I could track him down and apologise, I probably would, you know, because I see things in a really different way. Um, so the thing is, it's how most of us engage with music anyway. I think we get very, um, you know, very focused, and I suppose our, our listening skills, you know, are very focused. So even though it's on in the background, we're still analysing a lot of the information just because we're involved in it and working with it. Mm. So it's not a question of switching off. Yeah. Because I think our subconscious is still working on it, but our conscious mind is just, you know, going around and pottering and listening to it, you know, like you would if you were just at home. And then what happens for me is things that, you know, might make me feel uncomfortable, I know that need addressing. And often it means when I sit down, I might not do as drastic as uh, things because I'm, you know, I'm not like, oh my God, I've got to work. Mm. Turn buttons. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
because then you listen to it and go, actually, maybe I don't need to turn buttons because that's really beautiful. Maybe it's just about bringing it up and creating mm. more space and I don't need to change the sort of uh, EQ balance, you know, maybe it doesn't need fixing. But often if we put a magnifying glass on something, we, we feel like we have to, oh, we have to do something. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, if I wasn't here and we hadn't set up a sort of interviewee situation here, would you be having a chat with the artists that you had in? Yeah. Yeah, so it oh, is yeah. all about, it's oh, sort yeah. of We would be doing exactly the same. Yeah, doing this, the difference yeah. would be I'd be sitting on the sofa with you. I probably wouldn't be sitting at the board. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it is. Or, you know, I'd be walking around with some artists. We go into the, you know, sort of living space and we just have it on Uh and chat in there. It's just, yeah, it's just whatever works. Yeah. Um, That's why I say to you, every session is different. And do you bounce off equally the person that's in the room and the music? Is there some sort of, like, cocktail that. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay, we're going into like strange realms here. Maybe I'm not going there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's energy. It's all energy. Yeah. yeah. So of course. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, the beginning of the session is about setting the scene. Yeah. If that makes sense. We're setting yeah. the scene and then we, yeah, then I just go. Yeah. So what happens? We'll do this and we get to hang out. The artists, producers get to feel very comfortable because hearing their music, we're chatting, Mm. they might be telling me stories about it, horror stories about it, whatever, technical problems they had, different things might come up. And then I might make notes um, going along. I might go a bit quiet you know, while I'm sort of analysing stuff in my head. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll just say to him, look, I'm just going to go. Mm. And if anything comes up, just stop me. You know? Yeah. I'm approachable, but I'm just going to yeah. go. Just do your thing. You know? Yeah. Um, How long does the average process take, maybe, for a 40-minute album? Generally, I allocate an hour per track. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it could go more. I've mm-hmm. worked four hours on a track before. Okay. Yeah. Um, but generally I'll allocate an hour mm-hmm. per track. Sometimes, you know, uh, I'll be really quick and, you know, can do it in half an hour, uh, 20 minutes, you know. So the, the quick ones, are they, are they necessarily a reflection on how good the mix is? No. So sometimes even if you spent four hours on something, it's just because there was something in there that you needed to get from it, yeah, yeah, but not yeah, fix yeah. in it. Yeah, well, I'll fix, you know, I just needed to get it out, or it just wasn't so fluid. Sometimes it can be really fluid, other times it's not. The thing is, it's, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, uh, you know, um, artificial intelligence and music. Mm. Yeah, the beauty of a computer, I suppose, doing something. They haven't got, you know, thought processes like we have. They don't have a consciousness. They don't have emotions. Uh, You know, even though we can put things down and leave it at the door, things can still creep in, you know. If we're tired, that's going to affect us. If we're hungry, maybe we've got a headache. All these things can affect, you know, uh, our flow in a day. Um... So sometimes, you know, even if a mix is wrong, I could be really quick on it, and other times I might not. 
I know sometimes if it's four hours, it's because, you know, I'm sort of um, processing sections of the track. So I'm actually getting more into mixing. I'm changing mm. sounds throughout the mm -hmm. song, okay. editing, doing complex editing, complex level changes throughout the song. Yeah. And it's normally because the team can't go back and remix, maybe, you know, the, they, the session, the hard drive crash, they can't go back to a session. It's yeah. often when them ones are sort of four hours, it's because it's, you know, there's no going back. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, we can't go back and remix it. This is it, and mm. we need to make it work. Yeah. Um, so that's normally when it's long like that. You know, I can get quite quickly. It's like hearing this, you know, you've mixed it. I'm already hearing a particular tone coming out. So that makes it easier if there's a tone that goes through the album. Okay. Um, Glad to hear that. It means way. that you know I might, you know, just um, yeah, my tone will probably stay consistent through the album mm. then because I'm not sort of having to try and pull things in to fit together too much. So yeah, twenty minutes. So in that hour that I allow, that's you know including you know the sort of top and turning, doing the fades compiling it all, bouncing it all, like bouncing, Yeah, I see, yeah. you know, bouncing it all. Yeah. You can find that doing the gaps between the tracks is the longest process. Right, yeah. <laughs> so what I often say to people is think about that first, you know, or, you know, we'll get to the end of a session today and I'll say to you, okay, like I've mastered everything. You know, if you want to do the gaps and send me an MP3 and okay. then I'll copy them, you know, we do that oh, because sure. that will yeah. save you time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's keeping it very open. You talk a lot about emotion and your job is an emotional one. You know, your emotional intelligence with people that's so important mm. as well. You must have you well, must really know so how delicate, to... Yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's the thing. You know, so many young engineers forget that. That's why I think I try and connect to their emotion and bring them back to what got them into music in the first place. And often... You know, especially for our teenage time when we're, you know, all our hormones are changing and, you know, all of us go through this, you know, whatever drama at some point around that period. You know, emotion, the emotion we had connected with music was so important to us. That was some of the stuff that got us through some of the hardest points in, you know, our developmental years. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to connect them back to that, yeah. you know, remembering that. It's like people go, God, you know, don't, doesn't it upset you that the kids are listening to MP3s and it's like, you know, I'm like, some crappy phone or whatever. And I go, well, no, I listen to music like yeah. that. I had, you know, a mono radio and a mono cassette player and it was shit. Yeah. yeah. Utter crap. But the emotion like... still came out. Yeah. I still connected with it. I didn't care. Mm. I don't care. So it's, yeah, remembering that. And, yeah, remembering that artists are bearing their soul. I don't think a lot of people really appreciate that mm. side yeah. of it and yeah. understand what it takes from you as a person. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to remind, you know, young sort of engineers, you know, young producers to remember that. Mm. And I think when you follow the emotion, it becomes easier, you know? whole process mm. and I guess this part for you is tapping into that emotional 
intent behind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because I'm listening to it like, you know, somebody's gone to me, oh, here, Mandy, listen to this album. Mm. And I'm just at home and put it on. So I'm listening to it in that way, the first time I hear a piece of music. Just going to pause the podcast for a brief interlude to say a thank you to Isotope and demo their brilliant product. Isotope are very generously supporting this podcast. They've given me access to their RX audio editor, which has been particularly useful in this section. The trouble with chatting over the music is that sometimes Mandy's voice would lose clarity. So I've been able to use RX editor, the de-bleed setting and dialogue isolation to bring out her voice. So this is what it sounds like without the processing. A lot of young producers have friends that are DJs. And this is the edited version. A lot of young producers have friends that are DJs. It does a good job of separating those two elements. On with the podcast. The way I see it, we're a team together. Hmm. You know, I'm not something that should be feared in a sense. You know? It's not, you know, there, it shouldn't be like a Wizard of Oz situation. Uh-huh, sure. It is this, you know, oh my God, I'm off to see the wizard. And yeah. then, you know, no, we're a team together. There shouldn't be any sort of, you know, there's nothing, uh, you know, they talk about like the black magic, the dark art, and no, we have a different way of listening. And yeah, yeah. when it comes to vinyl, I, I will say, yeah, that's like some, you know, black magic, <laughs> dark art, voodoo yeah. shit that can go on with that. But, no, you know, it's we're a team together. We have to be able to have an open dialogue. Mm. So I think teams that find me, it's often based on recommendation, you know, work they've heard I've done, um, and often you know they've had a bad experience. Teams come and find me that have had a bad experience, and yeah. I often get the harder records because of it. It seems easy for you to plug into artistic vision. You could have written this music yourself, or you know, I imagine you get that much of a deep connection. Another reason why people want to be. But that's here. the thing when people come to me and go, Oh, I had a terrible experience with this master engineer, master and this and that. And I'm like, Well, maybe they didn't understand your art. And they hadn't even thought about that because, like, they see us like some oracle thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, maybe they didn't understand. I'm lucky I've worked on a ridiculous amount of different genres of music. Some I find harder than others. Techno I do find hard. Mm. You know? I know where it comes from. I couldn't go out to techno clubs. A weird phenomenon of vinyl with a flange and kick drum um, right. that would actually physically hurt my ears. Really? I'd try and go with, with Nilesh from the exchange. We, you know, if we go yeah. to Lost. You know? I've been there now and I'm like, I've got to leave. It yeah. just hurt my ears. Yeah. Um, but, you know, grew up with him who was one of the you know, top cutting engineers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. ...in the world for techno, so I'd go into his room and hear what he was doing, so I understand it, but it's the one that I, I suppose I get a bit like, ooh, you know, because I'm scared I'm going to have this phenomenon. Yeah. This flange and kicked on sure, yeah. just fear boats. <laughs> so, you know, that might be a bit harder for me, but yeah, yeah, look at the techno artists that I've worked with. Like, you know, basically the dons of the industry, you know, if we look at that. So, do you like a challenge? Do you sometimes? Yes, yeah, I think that's part of the problem that I have now is I'm not challenged enough, mm. if that makes sense. Sure. I've been so celebrated with the production teams that I work with. Yeah, Grammys, gold, platinum, yeah, awards, whatever. Yeah, which is just incredible and really proud of them for the achievements of all of that. It's like, yeah, now what? Yeah, yeah. Now what? Mm-hmm. Um, is that part of the reason why you're so um, enthusiastic about education and mentoring? Is that yeah, like a maybe. New challenge yeah. That... yeah, maybe. Mm. Maybe, yeah, I just figured it, you know, it was just something. But it came up um, with one of my mentors, Sean Davis, who, uh, when I left one of the studios I was working at, he said, I really want you to get involved in the Audio Engineering Society. And I was like, but what, why? Yeah. Why would I do that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, mm, really? Uh, they're really geeky. I'm not that clever. You know? <laughs> no, I'm, I really want you to you know, get involved. You know, we need people like you that have ears. It's not all about, you know, the academics. There needs to be a balance. Okay. Became a member, started getting involved. And he was like, yeah, I need you to, to help teach people. Because it had been part of his life to mm. teach people, mm. um, which he still does. I mean, he's incredible. You meet him, he'll sit with you for hours and you know, give you information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I started to get involved, you know, started to do panels and I got asked to um, get involved in the educational side with the AES, you know, and, you know, I did things like uh, judge the competition 
And the people that organised the educational wing, the students section, just loved the way the students responded to me and mm -hmm. my comments to them. Because mm -hmm. of course a lot of people when they were giving them criticism were quite hard on them. Yeah. And mine were just sort of fun and no, well done. And I had to handwrite them because I didn't want to type them all because I yeah. hate screens, but I'd handwrite them all. <laughs> yeah, and do smiley faces and stuff. And, and always give them something to think about. I think that was the other side. Not just about that mix, but maybe yeah. going forward, you know? Yeah. Like how to evolve, yeah. in a sense. So, yeah, they kept asking me back and back. And then, yeah, I just, you know, I think, yeah, we all need guidance because we're all in our boxes. Mm. You know, you, you're coming into it. You know, you haven't got the pleasure I had of growing up in a studio. We had three... Three rooms were actually, you know, when I started there, we you know, had two copy rooms and three mastering rooms. And there was loads of people there. Yeah. But now everyone's in their box, unless you're in a building where there's loads of artists in one of the buildings yeah. where there's loads of production rooms, but they're really expensive. I mean, London, what? You don't talk in a grand. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Who can afford, like, yeah. what artists can afford that? So, yeah, it's, um, it's thinking about that educational side. Wow, that's stop. Off Mandy went doing the mastering as she does. She started with a batch of three, the first three from the album. We also thought that for this podcast it might be cool to give you a, a listening comparison between a mixed version of a track and the mastered version. This is so you can hear what kind of changes happen when you get your tracks mastered by the likes of Mandy Parnell. This is the first track from Excuse the Mess from the first episode and it features Manu DeLago and his instrument the hang drums or the hand pan. This is the mix. And the mastered version. Back to the mix. And again, the mastered. The next track features Laura Jurd and the instrument is her trumpet. This is the mix. Going into mastered. And the third track is Emily Hall featuring her very cool electromagnetic harp. Here's the mix. And here's the mastered. After working through that first batch, it's time for a bit of Parnell School. Any lessons for me, for others listening? Phase. Ah, uh, okay. Mono button. Yeah. It's your best friend. <laughs> and is that in like a percussion section or is that bass or just across the board? Across the board. In the first track you've got some elements that are sort of nyan out of phase. So when you put them in mono they disappear. Could cause problems if you were going to vinyl. 
Luckily, it's not in the base area. If it was the base area, we wouldn't be able to cut it very easily. Okay, yeah. But the problem we have today is so many people at home just have one speaker in the sense of how the public are generally listening to music. And all right, the newest smartphones are getting stereo speakers mm. in them, but what most people have is a mono speaker. So it's something to really think about. Mm. Uh, club systems. Still, in you know some of the sort of smaller bars or whatever, the club systems will be mono. Mainly club systems are mono. So if you've got phase problems, you know, if you put, put the mono button in and things yeah. are disappearing, that's what it's going to sound like out on these systems. Yeah. So it's to really be aware of that. So yeah, mono is your best friend. I mean, you sit behind some of the top mix engineers in the world, they're constantly hitting the mono button. Mm -hmm. They want to see yeah. what's going on. Yeah, it's something you can easily do by listening to you know some of your favourite sort of producers, mix engineers, and just sitting there with the mono button and mm -hmm. listening to your tracks. Yeah. What I had to do with that first track is, you know, I've added a bit more mid than I probably would normally. Okay, um, yeah maybe to sort of pop it out a bit okay yeah, so when it is in mono it doesn't feel in the distance and weak sure yeah mono yeah. is your best friend the second track i did quite a a bit more you know mainly on the low end really mm -hmm. to give it a bit more depth of of field because i found it a bit closed with you know some of the horns so it was just to open it out um your mixes sound really good, you know, you're using a lot of compression, aren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, at times, and a few of them in a more creative way, and yeah. some of them maybe a less experienced way. I don't know, I think it's sort of working. Just be careful that you don't lose, I mean, I suppose it's hard with the, the sort of monitoring setup, but you don't lose too much uh, open openness, sort of space. Sure in the individual sounds yeah. they can sound quite uh like in a box quite sort of squashed so just be aware of that you know, you sort of hear it with that horn one a bit you know so to create the space back that's why i've added the bass ah i see yeah yeah so is that because like your ears hear it in a relative way yeah it just yes. felt that you know for the atmosphere that the mix is creating it didn't quite give me the space that i wanted but the problem is, the minute you add EQ, it changes everything. So you have to check, you know, what you're changing, yeah. which you saw on that last track when I flicked back to the mix. Yeah. Because when that end section was really resonating. So the EQ frequency that I picked was making it resonate more and feel more rattly. So I changed the frequency. Because, yeah, everything, you know, we're in mastering, so we got stereo. So whatever I do, it's going to affect everything. And you might think, oh, yeah, I need to go there and add whatever, 5K, but you'll go there and it'll just make something resonate that shouldn't be resonating. Yeah. But yet you still want to open that area out. So how do you do it? So that sometimes that's what you're looking for. You know, I'm looking at the sort of harmonic relation and going, all right, well, that doesn't work me going there. Where can I go? And the thing is, you know, when, when we use numbers, every piece of equipment, every plugin is going to respond differently. So it might not be that exact frequency. So yeah. I might think in my head, I need to go there, but actually that's not where I need to go. I need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Because that piece of equipment responds differently. 
Yeah, like this EQ is going to respond different to this EQ at the exactly the same frequency. Yeah. It's going to give us different things. So it's very hard to sort of talk in that way, very specific about frequencies. You need to relate it to the plug-in, to the gear that you're using to be articulate with it. Do you um, often look away from any screens? And... Yeah, I hate screens. Yeah. <laughs> I've got friends that, you know, I've got those screens on electric that they can push them down. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, when they're doing sort of playback stuff. You know? Yeah. But yeah, often, you know, that's why I like sort of swivel chairs so that you can turn around. Yeah, makes a big difference. And then I'm when, really you know, you more. see, yeah, I've worked quite a long time on that last piece compared to the first two. Mm. So it's like, okay, take a break before I lay it, mm. just in case I've got lost, you know, made changes that I shouldn't have done. So by walking away and then coming back, you might go, oh, yeah, actually, I don't like that. And I think that's part of the problem as well, is people don't take enough breaks. Again, because they're sitting on their own. And, you know, because we're all a bit special in the best possible way. We get so into it that time has no meaning. Yeah. So we forget to have breaks and get lost, especially when you're young and just starting. And then you end up just, yeah, sort of not getting where, where you need to get to. There must be a point where you just end up doing more damage than good, but you're just... Thinking because you're putting more time into mm. it, it's getting better. Mm. Actually, I've done that mm. loads. What sort of tech? Well, uh, I'd say, you know, you should be having an ear break about every hour of yeah. some description. Uh-huh. Mm. And then referencing, referencing, listening to other music. You start, your ears start getting tired, you get lost. The minute mm-hmm. you get lost, play something else. Sure. That's actually maybe not in the same genre of music, something completely mm-hmm. different. So it's a complete re- reset to your brain and your ears. Amazing, yeah. People don't take enough breaks. And I mean, all right, I can work ridiculous hours, but I've built up to that. I've got years of experience. Yeah. So yeah, I can keep going without having the same amount of breaks, you know, that I would expect from somebody younger than me. When my assistants start you know, mastering a track that would take me 20 minutes to master, I expect them to spend five hours but have breaks constantly and be listening to other music and I expect them to explore every possible option because that's the only way they're going to learn. With um, referencing things at the mixing stage, when you're referencing something that's been through that and been mastered and released... Mm -hmm. Bring it down, 6 dB. 6 dB? Yeah, 6 dB. Okay. You know, somewhere around there where it still sounds musical, mm-hmm. but bring it down to reference. Because, yeah, if you're chasing that loudness, you're well, you might get it. I'm not going to say you're never going to get it, but you know, it's going to be hard work. And yeah, you're going, going to end up mixing into limiters and all that sort of shit, which mm-hmm. you don't want to do. If you think um, from your mixes, I'm bringing it up probably about 6 dB. So, you know, I think a 6 dB is a good sort of gauge to bring it down or get get the uh, you know first edition cds of some of the sort of classic recordings this one's a beautiful track by john c and alex called boy 1904 
it's really interesting working with mix engineers that come from that era of learning on a board with you know all the rules that we had you know how to set up the desk and line up and stuff uh, when you get their mixes they often relate to that you know transferring to tape you know mixing on a board and that's why the mixes sound so good I'll do um, an example of one of uh, Mark Stent Spike's mixes. Uh, he worked with an artist called Shura, and I do a before and after example. And when you hear his mix, you know, and this is normally I do it at the end of a talk and where I've done, you know, played some examples. And I play that one last, and I play the mix, and everyone's like, oh my god, it just sounds like done. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that's how it should be. And then I play the mastery and it just opens up even more. It's yeah. just, and that's what we're striving for. It's that level of don't assume to fix it here. Yeah, we can yeah. do a lot of smoke and mirrors. If you're sort of going, oh, it do, you know, she'll be able to bring it up in the mastering. Yeah. You know, you need to carry on mixing. You need to carry on until you're like, okay, I can't get it any better than that. Yeah. And then, you know, you'll get to a point where it's fantastic and then you'll go past it and you'll just fuck it up. Well, you need mm -hmm. to go back through the mixes. A lot of mix engineers that I work with, you know, they do different mixes. Maybe we'll get up to a mix 12 and then, you know, we'll sort of come in and we'll have the different mixes and we'll go back and maybe go back to a mix 9, mix 7. Really? Mm. I remember the first Manu Chow record I did, the mix engineer came in with... 13 different versions of the whole album. Wow. <laughs> that was hard. Yeah, I bet. To pick. Because you might forget. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it went number one across the fucking globe, that record. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a huge record. Yeah. You know? Very humbling to be a part of it. And that's what I mean. He was this young mix engineer that came in that worked with these different producers, whatever. And the guys that I worked with really was like, oh my God, like, you know, you got him, oh, it's a really big deal. And put fear into me. Right. And then I walk in and he presents me with the album. You know, it was all on DAT tapes then, 13 different versions. Right. And I was just like, oh, my God, well, yeah, this one, I, you know, I decided, like, you know, I'd put it through this mix bus compressor and this one's done this way. I mean, they were all so different. Really? Like, such different worlds. And it was really, you know, that was, I, I was, yeah, I had fear. Yeah. <laughs> and I still work with the producer. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, majorly still work with him and do some great work with him. And he jokes how we grew up together. I'm sort of part of this now, but yeah, that's how it started. It was that session, it was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how, where you begin. Yeah, no, it to, was scary. Keep track. But just thinking about it, yeah. I'm sweating. <laughs> I'm like, ah, fear, scared. That's scary. But do you want to know the jokes of it? The version that we use? One. Huh? Yeah, it was the one that hadn't gone through any process. Really? And it was really scary because actually he gave me all the dats and he didn't give me that one. <laughs> so I listened to all of them and I'd pick two that I was like, okay, you know, I'll go back these two, but let me ask. And I turned around and said to him, okay, I've listened to all of them. Um, but where's the, the sort of original one? Yeah. And he went, oh, I don't like that. But hey, you're the master engineer, here it is. Mm -hmm. Well, that scared me even more, didn't it? <laughs> it so I played it and I was like, shit. 
I like this one better. <laughs> but this was my test about following my instincts, yeah. you know, because I believe that, you know, through my career, it's sort of been tests and you know, of standing by your convictions. So, um, yeah, I'm sort of sitting there and I'm listening to different, you know, sort of going to different tracks and playing sections of them. I'm like, oh, this is the one. I like this one. Mm-hmm. So I turned around and I went to him, I like this one. And he was like, you're the master engineer, I trust you. It was the most hairiest (laughs) session of my life, for me, in the sense of how I internally felt Mm -hmm. about doing it. And having to stand by my convictions, I've picked this version. And he wasn't going to give me that version. I mean, that was scary. But then the fact that they loved it and it got approved. and, And then he trusted me. It built a trust basis for us to go forward. So if someone did that, if I brought along 13 versions of this album, hmm. would you be impressed or would no. you... It's the one and only Aphex Twin. This track is Product 29, brackets 101, from his album Syro. Composer and pianist Emily Levinace-Farouche joined us at this point. She came along to check out Mandy in action, basically. We're going to do a bit more comparison listening. Here's the track that Emily and I wrote together, starting with the mastered version this time. mastered is from episode four and it features robert ames and the viola everyone's favorite string instrument starting with the mix and this is the mastered Because it feels like it's getting like, yeah. as you, we hear you play, it just feels like it's filling the space like so nicely. Well, that's what we want. But it's really yeah. hard to do in digital. 
something stereo things create a lot of phase problems. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I have to be aware of because I love well, yeah. random pan. It's nice to always have like a a thing that shows the face issue or like you know mm. meter because then as soon as you're widening you can tell if there's like Yeah. I always because I love white, really white yes. stereo yeah, meter. Yeah. I'm always like though you have to have a meter just just so that you don't go too yeah, far. Yeah, but you've got to watch out with this mono shit now. Yeah. Big time. That brought out all of those high-end things mm. that were maybe a bit buried in my mix there. Yeah, that was hard. That, that was a hard thing. So there was a lot more activity going on here with your EQ yeah. and things. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. yeah well, I told you I'd have to probably yeah. bring something to the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I have to bring things along. Your medical kit. No, into the party. <laughs> <laughs> I like to see it like Doctor. <laughs> I think we need a better way of looking at it that's much more fun. <laughs> Party proved massively. Yeah, I think yeah. that's better, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. A better way of it. I think, yeah, we need to change this kind of mastering, you know, to be a doctor. Yeah. We need to look at it if I, I don't want to be a doctor. Mm. <laughs> no, but it's great that you're adding something, like you're, you're putting your touch to it and you're, you're you know, you're I'm making it more you make it more special, like yeah. you're adding yeah. something, yeah. and it's yeah, you that, that's so. amazing. I mean, sometimes I've just worked with this incredible R&B singer. She has what what we call demo titers, you know. Yeah. She's so hooked to her mixes, mm -hmm. and she wouldn't let me touch them. And they're actually technically really wrong to go out there. But she's just so like connected with the the dynamics. And everything, and of course, because you know it's R&B, there's a lot of subs, and the minute you change anything, it's changing the yeah. dynamics, and it should be huge. And she just wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> I gave her homework <laughs> to help overcome that. So what's the homework? I want another homework. I asked her to like go away and listen to, I mean she does know quite a lot about what she's hearing with production, but to listen to, mm. you know, in some really sort of top R&B stuff, I can't remember who I gave her, but we talked about it, we talked about different artists, I was like you need to go look and listen and think about this and then play your mixes against them. Often homework can come up. Mm. I'm hoping that I can have a homework assignment. Have by you the end of today. You've got your fucking homework. <laughs> Mono button. Mono button. I feel like some homework oh, I can apply have, quite do easily. You have some mono... I wasn't checking that things oh. weren't phase cancelling. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a bit, but I must, yeah, like not enough. Hmm. Yeah. I, the thing is, just being in control and happy with what's cancelling, mm. making sure that you're happy with it. Is that a guarantee there's always going to be some phase yeah. cancellation? But is, is, is that how you, yeah. you make sure it's a, 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 a version pleasing. of it that you're yeah. happy with? Yeah, yeah. a yeah. pleasing version. Yeah. Just again, when you're sitting in a studio playing other stuff, just keep hitting the mono button so mm. you can see what sort of movements mm. are happening you know, with yeah. other people's stuff. Here's Gooey by Glass Animals.
I was having a particularly bad day, I was a bit down. And I went in the, the sort of a spa, sort of walking around, walk up to the hill and uh, sneaker pimps come on, six underground. I mastered so many remixes of that song. <laughs> and I just sort of stopped dead. I was at the counter, I just stopped dead. I was like, wow. It's a blast from the past. I remember working on it. And the poor little girl on the couch just like this with me. I was like, I've worked on this record. She went, that's really cool. I was like, yeah, it's really cool, isn't it? I was like, I haven't heard it for years. <laughs> well, yeah, she worked on as much stuff as you have. You must probably get that all the time, just pottering about. And well, the worst is when I'm out and I hear something, I'm like, why do I know this? You know, yeah. like that. And then I go, oh shit, I work, and my friends are sick of it. They've heard that line so much for yeah. it because I'll just go abstract, you yeah. know, like we all do with sound. I'm sure we've all got in trouble with people for <laughs> you know, sound coming and you just go, you know, yeah. like this. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm often out with my friend and I'll be like, Ray used to do it to me, and my teacher, Ray Staff, he, he did it, yeah, was it last year or the year before we were in a pub and uh, Elton John coaching came off, and he just came walking over to me and went, I did this one. And I went, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> he did so many great records, Bowie, Hunky Dory. Wow. I didn't yeah. even know. I only found that out, like, a few years ago. I was sitting next to him when I found out that producer did a talk and went to Ray, oh, do you remember when we mastered this, right? I just looked at it, you mastered that. It was my most played record when I was little. I'd say pretty much up there, one of the most played records. Here's the last comparison thing we're going to have in this episode. This is Mark Lockhart's appearance on the podcast. You're listening to the mastered version. again. That would be scary. <laughs> How do you get it to like, it feels like you're adding like separation, you're like almost mm-hmm. defining. How do you gain an EQ? Gain an EQ. Because it really feels like you're almost like shaping the mass of the sound and getting little bits to stand out a bit more. That's what I want to do. The idea in mastering, if you think about it, you want to fill the space. Yes, yeah. You see, when you're mixing, you're you're taking loads of different elements Mm. and you're you're sort of fusing it together. Mm -hmm. Mastering, I see it like a bud, so when you're mixing, you're sort of creating this bud and then when we master it, the bud starts to open. It's the best sort of, you know, in a way that I can sort of describe what's going on. Or seeing it that you want to feel the space. Now, sometimes when you're mixing, to mix, to feel the space, it will sound too hyped. So that's why it's interesting to do it in mastering you know, afterwards, like as the next phase, because mm-hmm. often it doesn't work when you try and do it as part of the mix. Especially that, because when you see like the spectrogram, this instrument compared to like the violin, it doesn't spread out that much, which mm. was surprising because they're very strong resonance, but they're not that like. Yeah, out, but they do. They do. Probably. Yeah, but they do spread out. If you heard that instrument in a room, what would it sound like? Yeah. 
Nice, what you mean. But the room, yeah, because you are creating a space, so you can't just think about the instrument, you also have to think about an imaginary, like, mm. space that comes into the equation. But I think when it comes to stuff like this, where the sort of root instrument is an acoustic instrument, yeah. you need to think about what that acoustic instrument sounds like mm. and then base where you're going on that if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And just know what it sounds like acoustically yeah. without microphone, you know. Yeah. Uh, most people don't hear that in real life. They don't hear instruments acoustically. Yeah. Most people just hear music through a bit of cardboard, don't they, yeah, <laughs> whatever. So what you're trying to do is get that depth of sound that you yeah. have if, you know, the artist was here playing the instrument in the room with us. So we'll never get that depth of sound out of speakers, but what we can do is the smoke and mirrors with people's ears and how our ears work to give us the impression of that. Okay. I mean, what blew me away, I'd never heard like an orchestra acoustically, never heard it in my whole life. And I got taken in Berlin to a very famous hall there um, with some very famous conductors and... I mean, my brain was shutting down. With it. it was just overload of information. Yeah. I mean, it was shutting down. I came out there, my head was blown away. But it made me realise that, yeah, you know, I don't think I've heard, ever heard any orchestral recording that can even touch the sides of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's sad. Yeah. For classical especially, yeah. because of the method of... Of, uh, of recording, it almost feels like they don't experience the music. Like it feels that like recording the music in a detached manner, while well, it's one of the most visceral yeah. experiences you're going to have in your life, I never really understand why. It feels like documenting. Yeah, yeah. but not documenting on that, an emotional level, yeah. just trying to be a fly on the wall instead of a human uh-huh. in front of yeah. me. I just I don't get it why they yeah. record it like that. Soundtrack, you can get something that can be much more like... Hmm. Well, it's funny, the first time, you know, I worked with Max Richter, I really didn't think he sort of uh, enjoyed it until a client of mine, I don't know, a couple of years later said, did you read the article Max did uh, about the album and he talks about you? So I was like, no, he was like, you should read it. So I managed to get a copy and read it and, yeah, he just loved the sort of madness of... I was sort of explaining to him stuff that I did, you know, and he talked about it in the article. But we've done so many records together, it's just been just crazy. So yeah, what we're doing is sort of smoke and mirrors. There you have it, Mandy Parnell, the mastering engineer legend. I'm sure you'll agree that that was fascinating and really insightful. I can't thank her enough for letting me into her Black Saloon studios and talking to me all about the craft of mastering and sharing so many invaluable lessons on how to be a better mixer producer and how to be better prepared for a mastering session a huge thank you to mandy such an honor to spend time with someone that's worked on a lot of the greatest music of our time and of course many thanks to you for checking out this extra mess episode which i think is really special and a bit different to all the other ones and if you've got friends that are mixers and producers then please do send them a link to this episode because i think there's definitely lessons in there for everyone that they can apply to their own work The Excuse the Mess album will be out later this year, and if you want to stay in the loop, you can follow Excuse the Mess on Twitter at ETMPod, also on Instagram, ETMPodcast, and you can visit the website etmpodcast.com. 
I'm also currently looking into funding for the second series of Excuse the Mess, which will hopefully, with a bit of luck, start in May. Thanks again to all the supporters of this podcast. And underpinning these outro rambles from me is a Max Richter track called The Journey, Not the Destination, which is a piece of music from an episode of the very popular Black Mirror. That episode is Nosedive. I actually watched that episode a few weeks ago. I thought it was brilliant the way that Mr. Richter took the sounds from the mobile devices that everyone uses in the episode and incorporated it into the score. I thought it was a brilliant composition device, taking something that's so integral to the on-screen sound of the episode and putting it into the context of the score, turning it even more into an emotional sound and a musical motif. You can hear those sounds happening underneath. I'm going to leave you with the same two powerful parting words that Mandy gave to me as I left her studio that night. Mono button. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.